Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Maddie Alder, filling in for Greg Storr. So this is the episode where we would normally take a deep dive look into one of the cases being argued during the January sitting. But for today's show, we're going to switch it up a bit and talk about a topic that's been getting a lot of attention all year long, but especially in the past couple of months, and that's judicial ethics. But first, let's talk about the first opinions and argued cases for the 2022 term, because surely we've got to have some by now, right? Well, Maddie, you are correct that typically we would see at least one opinion in an argued case somewhere in late November or early December. But this year, we don't have any, not a single one. You wrote a story about this where you said that the court was off to a historically slow start. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Well, there are a couple of possible reasons, Maddie. And the first is that the membership on the court has changed quite a bit. And in particular, Justice Ginsburg is no longer on the court. Listeners may remember that she often prided herself on getting out the court's very first opinion and generally being able to quickly turn around all of her opinions. And that was sort of a holdover, I think, from the days when the court was deciding more cases. As recently as the 1980s, the justices were hearing up to 150 50 cases per term or deciding 150 cases per term. And now that number is closer to 60. So it may be that the justices on the court no longer feel pressure to decide cases quickly in order to be able to resolve all of them by the end of June. Right. And the other reason you mentioned are the kinds of cases that the justices heard at the beginning of the term. Usually the first cases and maybe even the first several cases are unanimous rulings where the justices have broad agreement on the reasoning. But the cases argued at the start of the term don't really lend themselves to a quick, easy decision. Right. The first opinions typically come from either the October or November sitting. And during that sitting, we heard a major challenge to the EPA's authority to regulate wetlands, a major voting rights case that could change the way that the court views claims under the Voting Rights Act. And of course, we also had the affirmative action cases and a potentially foundational ruling on copyright. So the kinds of cases where you might expect a dissenting opinion, which, of course, takes longer for the justices to get out. Exactly. So we mentioned some of the blockbuster cases the justices heard in 2022. The court released its February calendar, which also looks pretty monumental. Uh, That's right. So there are actually only going to be seven cases argued in the February sitting, but four of them are very high profile. So two involve the challenge to President Biden's $400 billion student loan forgiveness program, which is on hold while these cases are pending before the justices. One is a challenge by several GOP-led states, and the other is a challenge brought by two borrowers who say that they were unfairly excluded from the program. And then there are a pair of social media cases that the justices will hear. Tell us about those. Sure. So both of them involve um, tech giants. One is involves Google, the other Twitter. And it's about the use of their site by the terror group ISIS. So the case against Google involves the reach of Section 230 of the Communications Act and protections for social media platforms whenever they post content by third parties. And the question there is whether those protections remain in place when the platform targets certain users based on their past actions on the site. And then the case involving Twitter similarly asks about liability for social media companies, but this time it's outside of those Section 230 protections. 
So we promised our listeners we'd chat about SCOTUS ethics. Kimberly, can you set the stage on why that's been in the news so much this term? Has it always been that way? No, so I don't think so. So I think this is my 11th term covering the court, and I have never covered ethics as much as I'm covering it now. It easily swallows um, somewhere between 30 and 50% of my beat on any given week. Um, So definitely something new. But I think it's been a series of things that have sort of gotten us on that path. So first we see a change in the membership and importantly, uh, the way that confirmations are sort of playing out. They're getting more and more political. These votes are coming down more and more along totally partisan lines or maybe one or two senators might cross over. And that whole thing has the effect of making the court, of course, look like a, a political body and not, well, a court. And I think it's really sort of framed that for the public, um, that the justices are not really doing law, but they're doing politics. And so we saw come out of that a White House commission, which looked into all the sort of different kinds of ethic reforms, um, things like term limits, things about recusals. Uh, but we haven't really seen anything from that yet. I know you were following that too, Maddie. Did, have we seen any anything come out of that commission? We haven't seen anything besides the report come out of the commission. I spoke to a Mm, few of the former commissioners um, a few months ago about um, their expectations as far as what the White House would do with that report. Uh, And, you know, we just haven't seen any kind of a statement from the White House on it or or any action um, in terms of, of what they would do on any kind of court changes. Right. And then, of course, after all of that happened, then we had the leak of the Dobbs decision earlier this year and all of the fallout from that. Um, There seemed to be some efforts in Congress to sort of look into that before the chief justice said, no, 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 we've got it over here. We'll investigate. And then like the White House Commission after the report, we have not heard anything from the court about that leak. Um, then there were uh, a lot of discussions about Justice Thomas and his wife, Ginny Thomas, um, and specifically her her efforts to overturn election results in a handful of states won by President Joe Biden. And, you know, this connects to the court because some January 6th related cases, election related cases have come up to the justices and there have been calls for Justice Thomas to recuse, no formal requests, um, but a lot of public calls for him to recuse and so far he has not done so and then I will say the last thing that really sort of hammered in the nail here was that we got wound of a second leak that took place um, several terms ago in a case called Hobby Lobby where it's alleged that Justice Alito leaked it to um, sort of a friend and I think really the bigger issue surrounding this story was that you know a former anti-abortion activist had said that there was this effort to sort of shore up support for the conservative justices so that they would have the courage to overturn abortion, which of course they did in the in the Dobbs decision recently. And so all of that combined together has just created this perfect storm for people to really um, wondering, you know, poking holes in current ethics at the court and really calling for some reforms either from the court itself or from Congress. And not to pile on to that long list of instances too much. But uh, our colleague Lydia Wheeler wrote a story about a holiday party attended by Justice Kavanaugh. Why was that also um, an ethics issue? 
Well, I think not too long ago, it wouldn't have been an ethics issue. I mean, you know, I don't think that's a story that we would have written when I had first jumped on to this beat. So the background of it is that Justice Kavanaugh went to a, a holiday party um, thrown by um, a prominent GOP uh, member and that there were a lot of, not surprising, uh, a lot of other high profile conservatives there, including um, some who have business before the court. And I think this all sort of piggybacks on this whole Alito leak and this idea that even if the justices aren't intending to be swayed, that there are those out there who want to try to sway them. And this is the kind of place um, where that might happen. And so even if it's not, you know, what we would think of as an ethical violation in the sense of like taking bribes, when it comes to courts and the Supreme Court, you know, the, the justices themselves and opinions have emphasized that it's not just about corruption but it's about the appearance of corruption and bias that really matters. Um, And so here it seems like maybe there's a bit of a turning of the tide that what was once socially acceptable or at least acceptable um, for the justices may get a lot more scrutiny. And um, yeah, we'll just have to see going forward. So I mentioned that some, um, some of these ethical issues have sort of prodded Congress to do something. We always sort of see Congress um, playing around with the Supreme Court. There's always, it seems to be like a bill hanging out there that never goes anywhere. But this, I think this Congress, there were several proposals and some that moved a little bit, right? Or did they not? Right. So various proposals with language mandating the creation of a code of ethics for Supreme Court justices, as you said, have floated around in Congress over the years, and they've even had bipartisan support. But lately, with the most recent ethics concerns surrounding Justices Thomas, Alito, and Kavanaugh, the discussions have been pretty partisan. And during this most recent Congress, Democrats introduced a bill that would have required the creation of a code of conduct for justices, among some other requirements, like establishing recusal standards. That bill made it out of the House Judiciary Committee, but the vote was along party lines, which doesn't bode well now that the House of Representatives is controlled by Republicans. Yeah, it's interesting to me that what was once sort of a bipartisan issue no longer is. No doubt that's because the court is dominated by conservatives, and so Republicans probably don't want to call too much attention to, you know, the ethical sort of holes that there might be. That seems to... That definitely seems to be the case. (laughs) So while we're on this um, issue of ethics, you and our colleague Lydia Wheeler wrote a story um, that talks about a a mechanism that state attorneys general are using that makes the courts seem political. Tell us a a little bit about that. So Lydia and I dove into this database um, collected by uh, Marquette University professor Paul Nolette and looked at where Republican attorneys general are filing lawsuits against the Biden administration. And what we found is that the Western District of Louisiana has emerged as the the most frequent venue for, for these cases. And specifically, a judge based in Monroe, Louisiana, has heard the most of any judge in that district and any judge in the country. 
And uh, it's it's a little bit in in uh, contrast with where some of these lawsuits began during the Obama administration and kind of where lawsuits are perceived as most frequently starting for Republicans, which is in Texas. Um, I, I think a lot of people think of Texas when they think about um, popular venues for conservative litigation. It's kind of an interesting story of why case assignment orders and and how uh, the the layout of a court uh, with having you know few judges in any particular division can make it a popular venue for someone who's targeting it to get a particular judge uh, or you know eventually get maybe a favorable ruling in their case. Right. So that was the quick and dirty. It's a really interesting story. And you guys actually sat down with our producer, David Schultz, on our sister podcast to talk about it. So if you're interested in hearing more, and you should be, go ahead and pop over to our sister podcast on the merits and check out that episode. It was a really interesting story. And you guys do talk about how it's not just Republicans. Democrats do it too. It's just that now perhaps this is getting a little more sophisticated. Right. So that's going to do it for our Cases and Controversies episode today. We'll be back in the new year, uh, as well as the justices, for a sneak peek of arguments that are going to be kicking off on January 9th. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species. It's a lot. That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join us on the Parts Per Billion podcast every other Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Bloomberg Law's Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.